If you enjoyed this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at If Vines Could Talk. We believe Michigan makes great wine. It's an up-and-coming region, already producing world-class award-winning wines. Our mission is to enhance the prestige of Michigan wine and help the world learn more about all we have to offer. Welcome to podcast number 16. John Braganini is my guest this week. John is the chairman of the St. Julian Wine Company, Michigan's largest and oldest winery. John and I talk about the Braganini line, the promise of Michigan wine, and some exciting news about the future of the company. Pop open a bottle of Michigan wine and follow along. One of the fun things about doing this podcast is that I have the opportunity to interview people in southwestern Michigan who've made a real difference putting our region on the world wine map. Today I'm interviewing John Braganini. John is the chairman of St. Julian Winery and Distillery. St. Julian is Michigan's oldest, longest-running winery, the largest by far in Michigan, and one of the largest in the entire Midwest. Their production tops 300,000 cases across all their brands and products. Not only are they large, but they are also one of the pioneers making varietals through their Braganini line. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you for, for having me. Maybe uh, start off by a little bit of an introduction. Sure. Well, I'm the, uh, I'm the grandson of Mariano Maconi, who is the founder of St. Julian. I'm, uh, the, the, and he was the first president of the company. I'm the, the son of Apollo Raganini, who was the, uh, the third president of the company. Um, and I'm the father of Apollo Braganini II, who is the, the current uh, president of the company, number five. Uh, I'm married to, to a Sarah, and I have four children and seven grandchildren, and two of my children will succeed me uh, in, in the ownership of the company and the management of the company. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. Long, therefore, you're a long-term Michigan resident. I am. Uh, we had a, uh, uh, I spent eight years of my life in Pennsylvania when my, my father moved our, our family out there to pursue a different uh, business activity. But other than that, I've been, I've been a Michigander. So at some point he came back. Oh, for sure, yeah. Obviously, yep. right. Couldn't leave Michigan alone. No, nope. and, and wouldn't leave it Yeah. today. Well, it's a great state. So tell us a little bit about the history of sure. St. Julian. Yep. Well, it, uh, St. Julian started in 1921 uh, as the border city uh, winery. My grandfather immigrated to Windsor, Ontario in 1918, and he started a small winery. Uh, in the uh, in 1921, he uh, sold wine and distilled spirits uh, to churches and and other uh, people in Detroit during Prohibition. So there was a there's a, he had quite a checkered past and and uh, uh, some of the business activities that they were involved in probably weren't all above board. But uh, so they sold. Uh, they sold alcohol through Prohibition, and then 
when it was repealed in 1933, he moved his business uh, into the Eastern Market next to the Stroh's Brewery, and he renamed it the uh, Maconey Winery. Uh, three years later, uh, he moved it to Pawpaw. He had been sourcing his fruit in the, uh, in the uh, Niagara Falls area, up in that Erie area through, uh, in Canada, but it made more sense to, to buy fruit from, from Michigan farmers. So we moved the winery over to Pawpaw into a building that was an ice house, and uh, he, uh, he retrofitted it to be a winery, and he renamed uh, the company, the Italian Wine Company in 1936. Uh, began operations there, and then in 1941, after the Pearl Harbor bombing, he changed the name from uh, Italian Wine Company to St. Julian. And we've been St. Julian ever since. Well, that's fascinating. Yep. So in 1921, this was a point I wasn't clear on, in 1921, when he first opened Marconi, was that? It was the Border City, Border City Winery first. I see. In Windsor. It was in Windsor. Yes. So he came across the river. After Prohibition ended. I see. Yeah. I thought so, but I wasn't 100% uh, sure yeah. about that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so St. Julian ever since um, World War II. The beginning of the yeah, you know the Italian wine company. It was because of the Axis powers. It it, it wasn't uh, wasn't something that could be marketed very well. So, so I mean, in the twenties, they you know they bootlegged, and, and in the thirties, they they found their uh, footing. Grandpa found his footing in the forties, and the forties and fifties is really he was in a sweet spot. That's where he made his money, and uh, there was very little wine to be purchased, uh, so he had unlimited market access. And then in the 60s and the 70s, the, of course, the industry went in a completely different direction. After the judgment in Paris, uh, American table wine became uh, very popular, and there was, there were, there was a, tr a transformation of the whole industry in the 60s and 70s. Uh, uh, the winery burned down in 1972, and control of the company moved from the Maconis to the Braganinis. So the 60s and 70s were, were, uh, were critical in the company and it, it would have been more likely that the company would have went out of business as opposed to continuing on but my brother stepped in with my dad and it was really my brother Dave that that took the company and moved it forward uh, to what it is today so in the 80s and 90s uh, our product mix had to change in order to be relevant and uh, our, gra our grape growers were able to to move to, to diversify into wine grapes in addition to their juice grapes or convert completely to wine grapes uh, we expanded our retail operations and then from really from the year 2000 on we uh, we have the business model that we have today interesting yeah so you prompted a couple of questions going back to the 30s and 40s you, you said that's when uh, grandpa made that's when he made his money. Yeah. What was he selling? I was wine? selling sweet, uh, sweet and dry, uh, Concord, uh, basically juice grape based wine. So he had Concords, Delawares, and Niagara's, and they would do the best that they could to make palatable uh, table wine with it. Uh, they were well suited for fortified wines, for sweet wines. Uh, but what I noticed as a child when I was growing up, you know, we didn't drink our our table wine, we drank Krabari, you know, <laughs> different things like that. And so uh, in, this, in the 70s, when the opportunity presented itself, uh, some of the growers, 
down in southwestern Michigan that, that we would buy grapes from. They, they were interested in, in converting to hybrids and vinifera, and of course the price point was a lot higher for them. So it was a gradual shift, and uh, some of your your uh, colleagues over at Tabor Hill had already gone down that road, and so we were we were behind them. But nonetheless, we all made those conversions. Well, I think you had to to survive, right? And you've done yeah. you've done a good job at not just surviving, but mm-hmm. thriving. Um, which is another question, <clears throat> as I've read quite a bit of the history. Obviously, Bronte was a huge operation in the '40s, '50s, '60s, yeah. even into the '70s. And you know, <clears throat> you don't even know that that was there now. Just dried up and blew away. Yeah. And Frontenac was another one. Frontenac. I remember being there in the 70s. Sure. Milan Wineries, LaSalle, all of them. I don't remember those two. But Bronte, in one history that I read about them, maybe you know something about this, they were, the history that I read, they were making 300,000 cases of Baco Noir. Right. Carl Spinazzi. I mean, that's your entire production today. Yeah. That was huge. And by 84, he went bankrupt. And as an interesting twist, mm-hmm. it was Dave Upton from Tabor Hill that bought him out. Yeah. Hmm. So that's accurate, 300,000 Well, I don't know if that, I don't, that, that seems like an awfully big number to me because, but I wasn't, uh, you know, during that period of time, I was not, uh, in the wine business, uh, I mean, my my day-to-day act, uh, activities as an executive at St. Julian didn't start until 2016, okay. when my brother died. But uh, I, they were they were Bronte was a was a formidable competitor. They they were right in the trenches with us, battling it out for Cold Duck mm-hmm. <laughs> supremacy, and they had they made good wine. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it goes back to your point about keeping up with the times, and I think they didn't, and that's yeah. ultimately what sealed their fate. Anyway, enough about Bronte. Let's get back to St. Sure. Julian. Yep. Um, tell us, tell the audience a little bit about the Braganini line and how you came up with that. Yeah. So as we as we changed our product mix, uh, we had to had to think through. Our, our marketing approach, and uh, it's essentially the St. Julian brand represents uh, today. The St. Julian brand is a, is a six to nine dollar bottle of sweet wine. That's that's how we market that brand. We do real we would do we do really well with it. Uh, but if we were going to go if we were going to go down the road with premium wines, we needed to rebrand it, and so we just we chose to put our name on the label. And uh, so today, all of our premium wines, all of our varietals, anything with a higher price point, uh, it can be dry or sweet. But the premium line all goes under Braganini Reserve. Good. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And you must have been pretty confident with it if you're putting your name on it. Well, again, that was my, the, we were making great wine back in, you know, the, the early wines that we made with Saval and Vidal and, and, and the French hybrids, the, the wine was very good. And uh, Dave and Chaz, they experimented with all types of different things. And uh, we, we learned early on that we couldn't sell, we couldn't sell products under, under hybrid varietal. varietal. Uh, branding at the time, so that was that was where Blue Heron came from. We basically took we took Saval Vidal and some Rieslings, mixed it together, 
put a bird on it, and, and that was really what uh, that's what that's what saved our company back in the in the eighties. The blue heron. The blue heron, yeah. So the Braganini line, that's your premium high-end varietal wines. Um, I understand that most of those come from what's called the Mountain Road Estate. Well, some of them do. Uh, I mean, we'll make about, we'll sell about 25,000 cases of, of premium wine uh, this year. And 3,000 of that will come from Mountain Road. Oh. Yeah. So... We have 25 uh, grower relationships in southwest Michigan, and uh, Oxley Farms and Arrowhead, which is the Dan Nets, those are, those are our two primary uh, fruit sources. And then we have Matt Dietrich and uh, a couple other Nets growers, and uh, Joe Herman we do business with. So you, you know all these people. They're, 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 they're first-class operators. Uh, but uh, we... we uh, we uh, we use their vinifera as well as the mountain road, uh, the mountain road uh, fruit uh, to fill out the Braganini line. So mountain road is a is an important piece of our business, but it's uh, it, it's not uh, in and of itself the sole source of, of our premium fruit. I see. Okay, I knew it was a part. I didn't yeah. realize how much. I, I think it's the best because I grow it, but uh, of but Ed Oxley would argue with me, <laughs> and his cab Frank just won the Governor's Club, so I ah. guess I have to give him that. So that's where the cab Frank came yeah. from mm-hmm. for that particular yep. wine. Maybe just take a minute and sure. tell us about the Governor's Cup. Well, the Governor's Cup it was this the, this was the first year that the the first year of the competition. Uh, it was a blind tasting done by an independent research firm in Chicago. So it did not have any local ties. Uh, uh, 56 wineries and 200 wines were entered. And we, uh, uh, the Lake Michigan Shore wineries took uh, nine out of the 10 top awards. And St. Julian took five out of the 10. So Outstanding. We're, we're pretty excited about it. Congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting. <laughs> so back to Mountain Road. Yeah, let's talk about very, that. You're very proud of that. I am. Tell us about that yeah. site. So the, the Mountain Road Vineyard is, is just north of I-94, right off of exit 39. It's right across the street from Contessa Winery. And so that was a, it was a peach orchard. Uh, my brother Dave and, uh, and Dave Miller, who owns uh, White Pine Winery, uh, originally purchased that property. In 2007, they cleared all the peaches off it. And, and uh, the following year, they planted Pinot Noir and Riesling. And uh, a year later, they planted some Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, in 2012, I took Dave Miller's ownership uh, when Dave left to start his own winery. And uh, the following year, we planted Cabernet Sauvignon. And then in 2018, uh, I took my wife in as a partner uh, at the vineyard, and she took over the management of it completely and so she planted Pinot Gris, Syrah and Sangiovese. She added some additional Riesling and planted some more Cabernet Sauvignon and that's where we are today. So we have I think seven varietals there. This year we'll get about 70 tons of fruit from that vineyard. It's it's, it's a really high point in Berrien County. We don't have any frost damage. We had a little bit of, of damage in the 2019 polar vortex, but it's windy and it's high, uh, windy, so we don't have to use a lot of pesticides. Uh, the soil composition's gravel, so we have really good drainage, and we just we haven't had any 
we, we lose very few vines uh, on an annual basis. I'm just really proud of that fruit. Uh, the, I think the cab sob that comes off of that off of that land is the, the best I've, I've, I've experienced. That's cool. Yeah. Very yeah, I got your bottle, so you have to decide yourself. Okay, I will. <laughs> I actually have a bottle of that in my in my cellar, yeah. but I'm holding it back. We'll drink it. We'll make more. Okay. Sounds good. Well, it is a beautiful site, and, you know, I, I see that when I'm working up at Carma Vista, right? You can mm-hmm. see across. People ask, where is where's Contessa? Well, you can see it from Carma Vista. And, oh, by the way, just to the right is the Mount Road Estate, and that's where St. Julian makes their Braganini wine. Yeah. And uh, so we send some people your way. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, you touched on this uh, briefly as we were talking about the varietals. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other places that you source your fruit? Well, last year we were exclusively Lake Michigan Shore. Sometimes we buy some, some uh, we were buying a little bit of Riesling from, from uh uh, Leelanau uh, Peninsula, but uh, no, I mean, rarely do we go outside of our, out of, out of our appellation for fruit. Mm, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Keep it in there. We think it's the best, and we, you know, we're a farm-to-table operation. We support Michigan farming, and uh, the quality's there. We have very, very high standards uh, in terms of tonnage and sugar, and uh, Nancy won't compromise on quality, and, and I respect her for that. Good. That's important because yes. it's, you know, yeah. if you don't have good ingredients, you can't make That's a good right. product. That's right. right. Speaking of Nancy, maybe tell us a little bit about your team. Sure. You have a large operation. We, we do. We, um, we have 150 employees. We have 50 full-time employees, 100 retail. Uh, 40 of them work in Pawpaw. So we... we, we Look at our business as uh, with three channels. We have direct-to-consumer, which consists of our six tasting rooms, soon to be seven. We've got one on the drawing board. Uh, We have an online store that ships to 38 states, and we have a wine club that uh, just went over 17,000 in membership. So uh, Joel Sicaley oversees our direct channel, and Cassandra Panay is our wine club director. She has been at that helm uh, since, I believe, 2012, and she's just done a marvelous, a marvelous job of growing the club. Uh, our wholesale footprint is the Midwest, and we're in Georgia now. We've, we've expanded to Georgia, and uh, my son Apollo and his brother Dario, uh, along with Brian Rojas, uh, captain that enterprise, and we have uh, distributors throughout the throughout the uh, uh, the seven states that we're in, and then production we call which which we label as bulk wine, private label, co-pack, uh, and that consists of we have three wine makers, three full-time winemakers. Uh, Nancy Oxley is uh, is our head uh, winemaker. She's been with us for uh, t- over 20 years. She came from, right from Purdue, and uh, she was uh, Dave Miller's assistant until 2012, and then she took over as the head winemaker. Uh, Kyle Totsky is a assistant winemaker. He comes from a, a, an agricultural family down here in southwest Michigan. He's a Michigan State grad. And then uh, Kayla is our assistant. Uh, so we have three full-time winemakers. We've got uh, a full winemaking staff, a full production staff. Matt White's been with us for, for almost 30 years. 
our admin team is, is uh, headed up by my wife, uh, Sarah, and then we have a full-time marketing staff. Uh, we do all of our own label design. We take care of our own uh, social media uh, promotion, and then we have a full-time maintenance staff. So, yeah, we're all in. <laughs> it's a big team. Yeah, you bet it is. Yeah, and one I think you should be very proud of. Thank you. Yeah, I... I watch from afar, and my business background is a little bit related to organizational health, and uh, I can spot a healthy organization when I see one. Thank so, you. Yeah, good job, good job. You mentioned a new tasting room on the horizon. Yeah. Are you at liberty to share a little? Well, I could just tell you it's up north. Uh, okay. Not Traverse City, but uh, but in northern Michigan, okay. and uh, we just have to. You know, we've got we've got three pieces of property we're work, working on currently. I and, see. And that'll be the last one we can do in Michigan, and then we're going to look out state. We're going to see if we can figure out the laws in Indiana and Illinois. Yeah, but we like we like the tasting room model. We've been able to make them all work. Uh, that's how we feed our wine club membership, and because our product portfolio is so so full. Uh, there's enough there's enough reasons for people to keep coming back mm -hmm. well I because of where I live I tend to go to the Union Pier one yeah and that's a nice spot certainly busy. very strategically located right on and busy and busy <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever been there when I've been the only customer yeah. so um, that's our busiest I, By far. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're. It's the gateway to Michigan. Right. Right. Well, good. Well, good luck with the, the new tasting room. I'll be watching to see when that is uh, when that comes to fruition. I assume that probably won't be until twenty four. Uh, that would be a safe assumption. Yeah. Based based on what you. Maybe twenty five, depending on the the economy and other things. Really. How is that looking for you right now, the economy? How is business? Yeah, well, like any other business, we have, you know, we have, uh, you know, the wine business is capital intensive. We have a lot of money invested in our, in our uh, business, and capital is much more expensive than it, than it was two years ago. So our cost of operation is higher. Uh, our supply chains are, are, are remending themselves, but uh, everybody's operating expenses have gone up. Our growers have. We're paying more for glass. Uh, you know, and we don't know. You know, we don't know what the, what the as, they keep, as, as interest rates continue to increase, unemployment goes up, and, uh, you know, our customer has to go to work if he's going to buy wine. So I would say we're affected like, just like everybody else is. You know, not in a good way. It's not something you have to buy. Yeah, you're right. Right. It's right. An, it's an optional purchase. Right. Some might consider it a luxury, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But I will tell you that historically, uh, we we have we've rebuilt all the financial records of the company going back 60 years. And when we go back and we look at recession periods, the the sales haven't dipped. You you can't see it. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that could have been it could have been other things. I, I, I we're not seeing it, and we're not seeing it right now either. Our, our, our retail business has been has been uh, has been healthy. Our, our our shipping business is off a little bit, but that's a national trend, and our wholesale business is is holding its own. So we're we're bucking some trends right now. Good. We're we're upbeat. Good. Yeah. Well, that's that's encouraging. 
We talked about the new tasting room. Any other interesting things on the horizon that you can talk about? Well, we've been, we've been, uh, we put a lot of time and energy and investment into our distillery, and, and that's that has been, uh, that has paid off well. We, uh, we, about three years ago, we invested in in barrels and mash, and we started uh, making whiskey and bourbon, and and we're in the. Uh, so we're doing well selling that. That's that, that, that's been a real positive for us. Uh, we continue to invest in the plant, and uh, our plant continues to be more efficient as we move forward, more environmentally uh, uh, conducive to the community. And I think overall, our our, our staff continues to to mature. We're we're our management team has ownership in the company now, and we're almost exclusively owned by our, our employees which I, I think bodes well for the future. Uh, and I, I think that this next generation coming up, my son Apollo took over as the president of the company uh, a year ago, and his brother handles all the outstate distribution, and I think they, they, continue, to, they, they continue to mature as business people. And so I think that we're, as a team, we continue to gel. And you're in good hands. I think so. I think. I'd like to go back and talk a little bit more about Lake Michigan Shore. Sure. You mentioned that in the Governor's Cup, uh, the wine wines from grapes from the Lake Michigan Shore took nine of the ten yeah. top awards. Why is Lake Michigan Shore, what sets it apart? What makes the Lake Michigan Shore really special compared to even up north? Yeah, well, I'm. that's not my area of expertise, but, but from what I've learned and what I've seen, you know, our... The main difference is that is in, in terms of, of, of easy identification is uh, there's less weather damage risk up north and there's a lower and a longer growing season down here. So uh, I noticed when I was up there in May, it was it was cold. I mean, the, the wind was cold. So they so they're able to move through the winter uh, with less damage, less frequently. <clears throat> Uh, we have a longer growing season down here, so especially for, for red wine grapes, uh, you can hang them a little bit longer. But I don't think that, you know, I, I think that the some sometimes it's hair splitting. There's, you know, there's, just, there's a lot of good wine up there. There's a lot of good wine down here. Uh, and there are years when, when, when they win all the medals. So I think it was just, a, you know, it's just, uh, it's a blind tasting. It's subjective. So sometimes... Uh, but I mean, I've I've drank a lot of good wine from Northern Michigan. I've drank a lot of good wine from uh, from Southern Michigan. I I I think the reds are are a little fuller down here. Uh, but sometimes it's, you know it's the winemakers, it's the growers. There's a lot that goes into it. Right. It's not just one factor. Right. Right. Well, I think that's a good perspective. And my wife and I were up there last fall and. I came home with more wine than I had planned <laughs> yeah. because it's so good. Yeah. Right? They make some really good stuff. The other thing too, Steve, is that, is that we, we, you know, we process more wine grapes than any other winery in the Midwest. Okay. And, and last year we processed 53 varietals. Okay. So, uh, we're doing a lot of different things. We're we're playing around with a lot of different grapes. Uh, every one of those grapes has to have every one of those grapes has to have a separate tank. Uh, so there's a, you know we're exposed to 
to more variety down here where there, there are more growers that are willing to experiment. And uh, so sometimes it's, you know, great winemakers are limited to the fruit that they have to work with. And I think that, uh, I think, I just think we have a little bit more to work with down here. As you said, we're both making some really great wine. I think so, yeah. As long as it's from Michigan, it's got to be good. <laughs> okay, so for our listeners, if people want to engage with with you, they can go to your website, uh, com. Are there other ways people can engage? Yeah, there are. I mean, the, I think the website is the, is, the, is the best tool because you can... Uh, you can contact us right there. There's a there's an email portal, and we pull those emails every day, and they're assigned to different people. Somebody wants to get a hold of me, they can do it right through that website, or I mean, they can call a winery. It's, it, we're easy to get a hold of. Okay, uh, social media. We we uh, we have a full time employee that that responds to every social media post, uh, and I think between the two, the website's really uh, is. Uh, is really well done. There's a we have an online store. We have a wine finder. So no matter where you live, you can you can put your address in there. It'll tell you where you can where you can find our wines and how to buy them. And uh, uh, yeah, that's that's easiest way to do it. Well, that kind of goes to the next question I had, and that is where can people find St. Julian yeah. wine? Well, in the Midwest, all major chains and independent retailers are going to have our products. Uh, and, and the wine finder at the website will, will direct you. Uh, choice number two is online. You know, we don't, we, we had penny shipping for a couple of years, but the, the cost just be, became cost prohibitive. But we regularly do penny shipping sales. I think we, I think we charge $5 for shipping now if you buy a full case. And if, uh, if you join the wine club, you get twenty percent off everything you buy, and so that's really the that's really the best way to buy our products. And then our tasting rooms. So between the three, we're easy to get to. So when a person drops in a tasting room, what uh, what can they expect? Yeah, they can expect to have a good time, and they can expect it to taste or drink anything but beer. Right? Anything but beer. Yeah, our tasting rooms are fun. We have over a hundred SKUs. We make dry wine, sweet wine, red wine, white wine, pink wine. We make uh, uh, we make bourbon. We make whiskey. We make vodka. We make rum. We make cider. We have non-alcoholic juice for people that don't drink and for children. Uh, we have uh, dairy-based wines. Uh, anything but beer. Wow. Yeah. So if you if you bring a group of people into one of our tasting rooms, uh, they're all going to be able to find something. That they like. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And remind us again where the tasting rooms are. Sure. Uh, our our wineries in Pawpaw, Michigan, which is outside of Kalamazoo. We have a tasting room in Union Pier, which is at the uh, at the Gateway of Chicago. Is that what you said? No, Gateway to Michigan, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Right, right at the at the Michigan Indiana border on uh, I ninety four. We have a tasting room just north of Grand Rapids in Rockford. Mm-hmm. We have one in Frankenmuth, right downtown. We have another one in Troy, just outside the. Uh, the mall on, uh, on 14 Mile, and then we have one down in Dundee, just south of Ann Arbor. So you have good coverage east and west. Yeah, I think so. And now we're going to go north. Yeah, we I'm, are. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. 
Well, John, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule to share. And uh, good luck with the future of St. Julian and Braganini. Well, thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast if Vines could talk on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If Vines Could Talk comes to you from Vineyard View Recording Company in Baroda, Michigan. Produced, edited, and hosted by Steve Salisbury. Narration by Sarah Spoonholtz. Copyright 2023. One of our sponsors is HomeWatch of Southwestern Michigan. They provide peace of mind when your second home is unoccupied. They do this by making regular visits to check on its well-being and arrange for contractors and service companies. HomeWatch of Southwestern Michigan is bonded and insured. Contact them today at 269-281-4584 or visit mihomewatch.com to learn more about their services.